Israel-Gaza War 2021. The Hamas mission is to eliminate Israel and the Jews, coinciding with the identical vision of their financiers in Tehran. There appears to be a strange convergence of events that inevitably led to global divisions ranging from Jerusalem to Ankara to Mecca, Cairo, and beyond. At the heart of this are national elections which dictate power and policies, beginning with the chaotic outcomes of both the Israeli and American elections, followed by the cancellation of the West Bank voting process. This and other events eventually led to rockets fired from Gaza directly into the city of Jerusalem. The IDF named the operation Guardians of the Walls. Hamas in turn coined the slogan Guardians of the Mosque. While the names are polar opposite, the objective is the same. Control over Jerusalem. Always has been, always will be. Patterns are emerging. Enemies are drawing closer. I am Mark Russick and you are listening to The Russick Outlook. As always, just my opinion. Good day, everyone. Hi, this is Mark Russick. You're listening to the Russick Outlook. Today, we're going to take a little bit of a different uh, turn, if you will. We're going to look into what's been happening in the headlines uh, as it pertains specifically to the nation of Israel and the Gaza Strip. Uh, I sit here on May 22nd, 2021, uh, which is a day after the declared ceasefire. Um, but I want to cover a lot of the events that led up to, uh, you know, what, what happened or what's been happening and how that may or may not have impacted things. Uh, you know, I have my opinions. You may have your opinions on that. But what I would call the coordinated convergence uh, that, to me, patterns are taking shape. Enemies are closing in on the nation of Israel. So I wanted to investigate that hopefully give you a little bit of a different perspective to uh, investigating the, uh, you know, the, the, the paradigm, if you will, of the Palestinians or the, pal- the paradigm of the Israelis living there or the paradigm of other nations of, of how they may be seeing things from their perspective. So if, if you like subjects like this, if you could hit the like or subscribe button, uh, with that and ring the bell. It, it alerts you to when um, new posts are coming out, and it also helps us get the uh, information out there. Working the different algorithms on the various uh, website platforms and and the social media platforms, because ultimately, this to me is always about getting to the heart of truth. That's my passion. That's my heart. Uh, as it pertains to what is going on in the world today, and also looking at it. Uh, from a biblical lens, you know, where appropriate, when, 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 and I think in this case, uh, in this subject, it is certainly appropriate because several of the nations that we're going to be uh, talking about or referencing today and uh, are, are certainly mentioned specifically uh, in Scripture, and and I believe for, for for such a time as this. So, on that note, if if you will. Uh, we're going to dig into dig into this, and I'm going to show you a map. Uh, on the left-hand side, this is the nation of Israel, and you see that that corner just above the nation of Egypt is the Gaza Strip, which was once controlled by Egypt. Uh, this is where the uh, the war has been going on and has been emanating from for the past several weeks. Uh, it is controlled by Hamas. Uh, this is a religious group that is. Uh, their mission is to spread Islam. It is part of the Muslim Brotherhood. It is also, they are Sunni Muslims, and we'll get into a little bit of that. And I think it's going to be 
it is going to become important as we look around the landscape of the different Sunni and Shia Muslims because they don't necessarily like each other or agree with each other. They have a lot of internal conflict between them, so I think it is worth bringing up here. Um, but nonetheless, you have the Gaza Strip. This is a strip of land that was uh, previously um, in control by the Israelis as part of the land deal in 2005. Uh, they, they they gave this, they, they evacuated uh, um, Jewish settlers from that area, and they have sole control over it now to the Palestinians in this area, uh, which is called the Gaza Strip. It is different from the West Bank in this sense. And you see the picture of the West Bank, and I show you how Jerusalem is, is you know, very close there. Uh, the West Bank is controlled by the Palestinian Authority, which is also called Fatah. It is a political party or a, a movement to liberate Palestine. So the difference between the two, if you're looking left to right, one wants to spread Islam. One is about the, the ultimate caliphate. The other one is about liberating uh, what, what they would call Palestine and then getting to the caliphate. Uh, that is run by President Mahmoud Abbas. Um, he ran, uh, uh, I think it was from 2005. It was supposed to be a four-year deal, and I could be wrong on, on the first year there. Um, but nonetheless, there's, uh, and this is part of the problem, and we'll get into it. Uh, there's been no elections since. It was supposed to be a four-year deal, and here we sit at uh, 2021. So there's a very um, specific difference between the two, and I wanted to point that out. But in the instance of what has been going on and what's been transpiring over these past several weeks, they're coming together. Uh, they're, they're coalescing to their common enemy, which is the Jewish people. Uh, and, and so we'll, we're, we're going to dig into that. I also just want to point out at the top of the map on the left uh, where Lebanon is, because at the end of the war, you may be familiar with, there were some strikes from Lebanon into the northern Galilee region of, of Syria, and then you have the Golan Heights, that uh, um, uh, divided section there, just where you see Syria, that last piece. That is what was previously under um, Syrian control, and they used that as a military strategic location to to attack Israel. That was uh, recaptured in the 67 war. Uh, so it, then if you look to the right, I wanted to give you a little bit of a broader perspective uh, showing the nation of Israel and some of the other surrounding areas uh, where you have the Muslim Brotherhood in Egypt um, that used to be in control several years ago of the government, but uh, that, that is no longer the case. You now have the military in control there, uh, which has bought stability. Um, you know, I'm sure there's a price to pay for the Egyptians. I don't negate that, uh, but it has brought an overall sense of stability to the area. Uh, and then above that, you have Syria, which is where Iran has uh, uh, their Hezbollah uh, infatata, if you will. Um, this is predominantly Shia Muslims. And uh, so they are in parts of Syria and Lebanon. Uh, you also have, I, I notated that, uh, Russia was is is in Syria today, and they're obviously a very big player. And then in southern Iraq, you have the uh, Hezbollah again, where Iran is is kind of moving across the plains. And there you have the Shia Muslims. You have a lot of Shia Muslims 
in southern Iraq. Iraq is roughly 80% Sunni, maybe, and 20% Shia, but they, they're predominantly in the south, and then in the north you have the Kurds. So that's just to kind of give you a little bit of an overall landscape. I did want to point out, because it's going to come up, uh, where you see the red arrow uh, going from Jerusalem to Cyprus, and then back and forth to Turkey, and that's going to come into play. I just want you to point out um, you know, the, the proximity and the geographical significance of, of these areas. So all of this is going to come into play as, as we break this down and as we talk about this. So I'm going to give you a little bit of a big map. Um, and the reason is, you know, you, you've got, so Iran on the right, you see the, the, the big Iran, the big warning sign, I, I gave it this symbol with the triangle and the circle. So they are uh, funding and they're uh, using Hamas and they're getting them um, military aid, financial aid. So they are infiltrated there. But the, the difference there is they are Shia where the uh, Palestinians in, in Gaza Strip are Sunni. So there's not necessarily, you know, a, an agreement there in terms of the religious standpoint. But nonetheless... They are coalescing against that common enemy, as I uh, reiterated uh, earlier. So in Damascus, you see that they, they, uh, Iran has a spot there, as well as in Beirut, predominantly in Beirut. Um, and where else? And I, and I point out here in Iraq. And then in, in the bottom of the middle of the screen, below Saudi Arabia, you see Yemen. You have the Houthis, which are also a, another division of Iran. And a, a common enemy, there, there's, there's a big conflict that's happening between Iran and uh, Saudi Arabia, and they're using uh, their strategic location in Yemen to get at them. I point all of these things out because they all have that common enemy in Israel, in the nation of Israel, the Jewish people. And I just want to notate that they have uh, missiles, they have artillery, they have manpower, they have finances, they have strategic locations all around the surrounding area. And this will obviously come into play for the end of days, but this is what's happening today. The other thing I just wanted to point out, uh, the yellow highlight, the yellow circle just below Iran by the United Arab Emirates, they did something very unique. They publicly took a stance for Israel during this conflict, uh, which I don't know of any other Arab nation that came out specifically in support um, of, of the nation of Israel. And obviously they have uh, relations today due to the Abraham Accords. And then I also, the two other yellow circles in the top are Greece and Cyprus. And I just want to point out that those are strategic locations that have developed very good relations with Israel. Um, they have military agreements in place for the next 20 years, the Greek military and the Israeli military, uh, the Air Force in particular, are, are uh, they're, they're engaged in joint military exercises. And this comes into play because of Turkey. And, and we'll see that as I get near the end of this presentation. But I just, you know, I want to point these things out because I'm going to be coming back to them. But the, the main emphasis here that I want to bring out is so much of what we've seen in this conflict is funded by Iran, it's sponsored by Iran, it goes through to Hamas, and, and then you have these surrounding areas that are supporting it in one fashion or another.
So I want to now get jump to the what I would call a convergence of related events. And these are things that I don't think are being presented. I know they're not being presented on just about most of the media. And I would contend that it, it, they all have an impact. It's like this convergence of, of, of events that you, when you bring them all together, it just brings everything to a boil. It, it's like putting pastina in a pot and everything just comes to a boil. And if you don't know what pastina is, you're, you're missing out on, on, on some great uh, comforting food, I'll call it that. But let me start with the United States elections. Your, your policies from President Obama to President Trump to President Biden, uh, you, you've kind of flip-flopped completely. And, and that has had a tremendous destabilizing impact on the Middle East and these surrounding areas today. Um, from, I, you know, I'll, I'll say that Obama and Biden are just about hand in hand. And uh, there are many, including many high-ranking military, United States military generals who uh, insist that it is Obama that is call, calling the shots and he's got his people in place in the Biden administration. All that to say you have very similar policies from Biden to uh, to Obama and the, and the ties there. But uh, the, the difference between Iran, the Palestinians, Saudi Arabia, Egypt, Turkey, etc., all of those nations are so important, including Israel, but they are completely opposite in terms of from going from President Trump to President Biden. Why do I say that? Well, Iran, we know, is the enemy of, of Israel. We know that they are um, hell-bent on destroying the nation of Israel, constantly calling it to wiping off from the face of the map uh, or wiping them off from the face of the earth or off the map, however they say it. Uh, and then today you've got President Biden trying to engage and reenact the uh, nuclear agreement with Iran and giving them, basically bribing them, uh, just saying, hey, look, if you take X amount of dollars, you promise not to do anything. You know, it's just, it, it's it's ludicrous. Um, they are calling for a two-state solution again. They've reengaged uh, the Palestinians where President Trump tried to move towards peace agreements with other surrounding nations by taking the Palestinian um subject off the table since, you know, nobody could be agreeing on this for the past 30 years or so. So he said, well, what can we agree on? All right, we, we, we won't agree on this, but what can we agree on? And trying to move people towards the peace table because, uh, the, let's face it, the Palestinians have turned down uh, umpteen di- different offers that I would say many would go against, uh, you know, what the word of God is. But nonetheless, they were on the table. And, and they've, they've completely walked away from it. In 2005, uh, Ehud Omer of Israel wanted to give back parts of East Jerusalem again. So, uh, you know, they had these things. They were going to give them a sovereign two-state solution. But at the time, uh, Mahmoud Abbas, you know, he turned it down because they wanted everything. So I just wanted to point out that the United States has a very important role to play in the Middle East. And right now, if you look at President Biden's policies, they're pulling out. They're pulling out from Afghanistan, Iraq, other areas, and that's caused a lot of instability. Uh, It caused a halt to some of the Abraham Accords uh, because they, you know, they they can't trust America. And and that's, that's 
pretty much the way it is. The next thing that happened was what I would call a very chaotic situation with the Israeli elections. So they, you just recently had your fourth round of elections uh, in March of 2021, and uh, it, it's they could not get a, um, a majority in the government, although uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu uh, won the majority, I think 30-some-odd seats. You need over 60 to have a majority in the Israeli Knesset. And so that's been a lot of back and forth where you may be approaching a fifth round of elections. Why do I bring that up? Because there is a tremendous amount of instability in the Israeli government and the surrounding nations know it. Their enemies know it. Um, the mandate to form a government was given to the opposition leader, Yari Lapid, by President uh, Rivlin. Uh, this mandate ends on June 2nd. So here I sit on May 22nd. Uh, this is the same day that Rivlin's successor will be uh, elected to the, to the Knesset. So long story short, you've got this gentleman named Lapid, uh, and, and if... if he cannot form the government. There is a very distinct chance that you may have another round of elections in October. Uh, the other interesting thing is because of the handling of the war, uh, I would say that Prime Minister Netanyahu has gained a lot of favor in, in Israel amongst the Jewish people. So how that plays out, I don't know. But So you go from the instability of a United States election to the instability of an Israeli election. That alone it, you know, that, that, that's big. Then right behind that, or following that, I should say, is Ramadan. So Ramadan, and when you let up to the closing days of Ramadan, you know, this is a day, this is a holy month for the, for the Muslims of prayer and of fasting. And, you know, you think of a lot of these people, if, if they are uh, praying and fasting, and maybe they weren't for the 11 months beforehand, and, you know, uh, hostilities, things can be built up. Uh, you got to a point where you saw uh, people started throwing uh, stones at, at the worshipers on the Western Wall. Uh, a lot of this was tied into something called Sheikh Jarrah, which was an Eastern Jerusalem neighborhood. Um, long story short there, after uh, um, 1948, they, you, had, you had Jewish homes in there. And they were um, taken over by the Palestinians under Jordanian control. And recently in a court of law, in, in, which is a, an, an independent court of law, I should say, that you have Arabs and you have Jews serving in the Knesset, in the government. You have Arabs and Jews serving in, as judges and magistrates in the Israeli courts. So they uh, affirm the fact that they were Jewish buildings that are in, in this area and that they should be receiving some type of income back from people who are renting in the buildings and from, from the Palestinians. So I would say that, you know, the way they did this, the timing of it, when you consider that this was near the end of Ramadan, it was not a smart choice by the Israelis because it just helped to further inflame the tensions. Um, many of the Palestinians and the uh, Arabs who oppose the Jewish nation, you know, they're looking for things that, that they can use to draw on. And, and I would say that, and if you go to the bottom, uh, Mahmoud Abbas took advantage of this uh, court order in, in uh, Sheikh Shirah, even though it was initially agreed on and considered fair, 
but then they they kind of blew it up, if you will. So what happened there was uh, Abbas declared that there would be elections. And then, uh, you know, if you look at all the polls and all the information that comes out of the Middle East, Hamas would win the election. Uh, So then you would have Hamas controlling the Gaza Strip as well as the West Bank. So if you recall the map earlier, uh, that's what was at stake. Abbas canceled the elections. And even when he called them, many people said he's not going to go through with it. He's not going to let this happen because he knows he would not be elected again. Uh, this, This was all just hype and theater. And unfortunately, people died because of it uh, in the case of this war. So he drew on Sheikh Jarrah. He drew on um, people uh, throwing stones at the Western Wall, at the worshipers. And I'm going to show you some images that are pretty startling to me in a few minutes. Um, So this was another event. So what happened was he said, well, because of all the conflict and the the things that are going on in Sheikh Jarrah and, 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 and the Temple Mount, he said, I'm going to cancel the election. So that further inflames tension. So Hamas thinks, okay, great, we have these elections coming up. Now uh, Abbas has canceled them. So again, another event that just starts to um, drive up the hostilities. Then uh, to the upper right, you have Jerusalem Day, uh, where, where Jerusalem uh, gets its independence from the 1967 Six-Day War. Um, you know, you have people celebrating in, in and around Jerusalem, in and around the Western Wall, as they have for uh, many years past. But this, again, because of the timing of things, really inflamed the matter. You had more conflicts coming from the Temple Mount. You also had a great deal of youth that were attacking uh, Jewish people in and around Jerusalem and some of the surrounding neighborhoods, uh, just driving the hate, driving the, the tensions. Um, and, you know, I just side note, I would say a lot of this to me was very similar to what I saw in America uh, during the, the this past summer where you had the cities got going on fire and it was tied to our elections. It was, you know, it was contrived. It was manipulated. It was forced um, because it was theater and it was theater to, to build hatred, to build anger. So, it's, you know, what I would consider something similar. Uh, then you have from this the more clashes started to happen with the Temple Mount. So what's interesting here about the Temple Mount is Jordan right now claims ownership. Um, 67 Six Day War, long story short, uh, although Israel won that, uh, Moshe Dayan gave that area to the Muslims in a hope of keeping some type of relative peace. Uh, so Jordan has jurisdiction, they have ownership. Uh, uh, of that area of, of, of the Temple Mount. But what's interesting is Saudi Arabia wants control of it. Now, Saudi Arabia, your two uh, holiest sites, Medina and Mecca, are there. They want ownership of, of the Temple Mount. Turkey wants ownership of, of the Temple Mount. The Palestinians want ownership of the Temple Mount. So you see all these different factions including the Jewish people, and we know ultimately there will be a temple built there, but you see what the Bible said would happen, is happening right before our eyes, where people are fighting for this small piece of real estate uh, because it is so vital to the end of days. So we're seeing this play out, but you, you, you have a lot of this hostility, you have you know all of this, what's going on. 
So this all built up into Hamas firing five rockets directly into the city of Jerusalem. I would personally contend with they did not uh, think that the response would be as great as it would be from the Israelis. I think they miscalculated somewhat, uh, but I, I don't know that. That's just, you know, as, as always, just my opinion. Um, so nonetheless, you, you still had the blessings, if you will, of the Ayatollahs from Iran to uh, foster this, this war, foster these battles and engage here. So I wanted to show you some uh, images. Hopefully, if you're following this on video, if not, I'll describe it to you uh, for you podcast listeners. This is the Temple Mount area. This is by the Alaska Mosque. And you see, you know, it's it's stones, you know, rocks, and they're being built up there. It's it's kind of like an artillery shell or, or uh, you know, a, a weapons munition where, you know, you're building these up and you're storing them and you're stockpiling rocks because you know you're going to use them as weapons. So you see this here. You see what is very disheartening to me is what I would consider kids. There's probably many teenagers here, maybe even some younger uh, in this quote unquote holy site, they you know they they are stockpiling um, rocks and 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 whatever it is, Molotov cocktails were thrown. Um, so you see this that's happening here. You don't see this where I'm from in in the American press or you know a great deal in North America. I did see some of this coming out of Australia. Good for them uh, that they have some freedom of press there. Uh, I, I'm sorry, I just. I guess I get a little sarcastic now and then. But nonetheless, so you see all of this is, you know, what's been happening. Then I wanted to point out some other things that the images that were supplied by the Israeli military. So this was, I don't know, maybe five or six days into the war on the left, uh, where uh, it's called, um, Israel calls this operation, called the Operation of, of Gaza, as guardian of the walls. And so you see that. Interestingly, the Palestinians call themselves and this operation guardian of the mosques. So a, a, a very clear delineation between the two. What they were pointing out at this point, halfway through, you had 1,050 rockets. <clears throat> so they're able to track these rockets with their, uh, with their military. And they noticed that 200 of them exploded before they actually got over the uh, um, the borderline in, into Israel. So it means a lot of these rockets were going off and they were coming down and exploding in Gaza. So here you had these people uh, taking aim, oftentimes inside hospitals, schools, using the uh, civilians as shields. And at the same time, a lot of these... Um, Weapons were not successful. They 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 just kind of backfired, if you will. And then the uh, the other issue is, uh, in, if you look in the lower right, and, and I think many people here are familiar with the Iron Dome. It's a military system that blocks uh, or or detonates or uh, um, heads off a lot of the missiles that are coming in. They have a, a a radar in such a way that if they, it's it's like a projectile system where if they uh, throughout what their algorithm is, if they say this missile is going to land in a certain area of Israel, they will uh, uh, explode, or, or I'm sorry, they will blow it up. Um, 
if it will not, or if it will maybe fall inside the Gaza area, if it will fall maybe into a field or something, they might let it go. But that's how that system works, and it's been enormously successful. Um, I wanted to point out that the Hamas rockets that were built there, now you had uh, roughly 4,000-plus rockets go off in the 11 days, I think 4,500 rockets. These are the different types of rockets they have. Uh, the military lists them in terms of how they can go in distance-wise kilometers. I broke this down into miles, so you can see the different types of rockets can go up to 100 miles, 46 miles, 28 miles. Then finally, on the right, on the upper right, the Temple Mount, and you can see the stones, the rocks that were being placed there, uh, you know, as, as a, a defense mechanism to thwart people from not only coming in, but using them to throw down uh, at Israeli military, Israeli police, and Israeli worshipers. So imagine yourself coming to worship Jesus, or I'm sorry, you would, would be worshiping Yahweh if you're Jewish, at the Western Wall, uh, or praying to him, or seeking him, and then you were getting rocks thrown at you from a, a pretty good height. I don't know the exact height of that, uh, but it's a couple stories at least. So, and you saw the size of the rocks. So that, you know, these are very, very serious situations. Uh, the other things that were happening was you, I, 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 I think some of you may have heard how the media building was blown up. Well, it was being infiltrated on different floors by Hamas. So you had Reuters, you had uh, maybe the Associated Press, or I know Al Jazeera agency was in there. Um, they have, were in different floors. So what happened was Hamas typically, you know, they utilize that. And I would say in some instances they might have been, you know, um, in co or what's the word I want? Uh, coexisting, I'll, I'll, I'll call it now. It's not the exact word I want. Um, in the same building. So I find it hard to believe that these press and media agencies were not aware that Hamas was at different floors. There's a there's an image I saw, I, I don't have it in this presentation, of how the military identified all the different floors, all the different offices, which were which was the press and which was Hamas and, and about other potential businesses. So the reason I show this is a couple of things. You know, here you had Hamas infiltrating or working alongside potentially uh, press agencies. And they're saying, we had no idea that Hamas was in the building. Uh, call me a cynic, but I, I find that hard to believe that most, if not all, were not aware of this. The other thing I wanted to point out where I find, and, and there are many military um, countries, or I should say military divisions of other countries that feel the same, that Israel fights a what could be only described as the in the best humane factor. They alert a lot of buildings. If they're going to blow up a building, they they find the phone the phone numbers of the people in that building. They'll call them. They'll drop pamphlets, and then they have something that's called knock on the roof. So after they've done a number of these things, then they'll uh, drop smoke bombs and small bombs that won't do a lot of damage to let you know. Get out of the building. We're coming. We're going to come. We're going to blow this building up. So this is what they did in in in, the, in this particular instance, and in some of the other buildings that they blew up to try their best to minimize civil, civilian casualties. This is war. This would never happen uh, by an enemy of Israel. They would they would not even uh, think twice about taking them out. 
So, you know, these are some of the other highlights that I wanted to bring out, some of the things that I don't see necessarily uh, being brought out in, in a lot of the press. And so this is what was going on. Uh, then you have the, the tunnels. So it's called the Gaza Metro. And in the lower right-hand corner, you see these different images of the different tunnels. There are supposedly upwards of 320 miles of tunnels throughout the Gaza area. And this is how they were able to get these artillery and the missiles back and forth, how they were planned to do things uh, undetected by the Israeli military. It's a very sophisticated tunnel maze. And, and, you know, you see this a lot throughout uh, Israel and, and other surrounding nations. This is part of the strategy. So it's a military strategy. Um, and, you know, what I wanted to point out, too, was what I think is, you know, the biggest part of the tragedy. Here you see an image with what I think is maybe two fathers or two two men caring for children. And these children, you know, they don't know what's going on. And this is the heartbreaking aspect of what a lot of the press will bring up and, and cite that this is what's wrong with the Israeli military. But this is what's wrong with war, period, Where, you know, no matter whose side you're on. These are the innocent. These are the ones who... You know, they, they want to live their lives, and, and unfortunately, they're caught in this. And, you know, this is, this is the reality of what we're dealing with. The other interesting aspect that did happen in the tunnels, what the uh, Israeli did, and they kind of used the press in, in a, I would say, a brilliant faction. They told them that they were going to come in with a land war, and they put all their tanks along the border and they got them up. They were even revving the engines, if you will, and, and moving a lot of the vehicles. And they had a lot of military personnel. So, And then they got word out that, hey, we're coming in. We're coming into Gaza. We're, we're about to bring, come in from the land. So what happened was most, if not all, of the uh, commanders and the, and, the, and the military of Hamas got underground, got into these tunnels, which... Much to their chagrin, the military was very much aware of. And they used this opportunity, knowing that they went underground, to blow these tunnels up. And the best information I could come across was they, they blew up at least half, if not more, of the tunnels. So this did a lot of damage to their infrastructure, killing a lot of their commanders, a lot of their leaders. But it, it was, you know, from a military aspect, if you look at it from there, it was a brilliant strategy. They used the press in a way that I'm sure the press did not want to be used because they knew all along that they were not going in in terms of attacking by land. I'm going to jump to another aspect of war, which is the press, which is how the messaging gets out and how that impacts what the... Um, what the take is by different people and different governments around the world. And I title this here as Israel, Israel, Hamas conflict spreads, social media misinformation amplifies tensions. Uh, and, and there's no question about how propaganda can be used to sway public opinion. Unfortunately, I'm going to point to four uh, United States Congresswomen that in my personal opinion are an absolute travesty, uh, you know, what these people say and what they represent and the hatred and the prejudice and the outright anti-Semitic racism that they propagate is despicable. Uh, and I'm uh, representative and I'm going to quote some some things here 
Uh, they're called the squad in the United States, these four women. Uh, Ilyan Omer, Omar, I'm sorry. She says uh, Israeli airstrikes killing civilians in Gaza is an act of terrorism. Um, Rashid Tlaib, American taxpayer money is being used to commit human rights violations that uh, s- somehow when you throw missiles into a city, it's okay to to target civilian areas in Jerusalem and the surrounding areas. But if you return that that weaponry or if you return that fire, then you're, you're, you're committing human rights violations. Uh, Presley says, I stand in solidarity with the Palestinian residents of Sheikh Jarrah in East Jerusalem. So again, how that was used to drive propaganda, uh, and she just contributes to it in the United States. And then finally, uh, Ocasio-Cortez, it's inhumane, and the United States must show leadership in safeguarding the human rights of the Palestinians. So there you have it. There there you have, you know, what four uh, congresswomen are are saying. Uh, Then I have what Black Lives Matter. Somehow, interestingly, yeah, shocked that they stand with the Palestinians and and they stand. And so I'm I'm reading a Twitter account. Uh, Black Lives Matter stands in solidarity with Palestinians. We are a movement committed to ending settler colonialism in all forms and will continue to advocate for Palestinian liberation. Always have, always will. Then you had the New York Times go as far as to say that Trump was responsible for the uh, uh, for the turmoil of the war that was happening between Hamas and Israel by blaming the Trump, the uh, 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 the Abraham Accords. Uh, they said that that further intensified Israeli Palestinian tensions. So here you have nations coming into peace. Or, and, and having trade agreements, tourism agreements, intelligence agreements, uh, and, and, and exchanging, and, they, and they're calling it, you know, they're calling it evil and they're calling it the cause of war. That's how warped some of the media is. That's how twisted some of the people are. Uh, but these, these are the things that you have to deal with when you're dealing with war uh, 2021. And, you know, this is the reality of situations. So the ceasefire was declared on May 21st, just yesterday, where I sit. And I say, but at what cost? So Hamas won a huge political victory internationally and domestically. Uh, They are about to get $500 million from Egypt, $360 million from Qatar, and President Biden, the United States, has committed $338 million. And I would say that there will definitely be more coming from the U.S. as well as other countries uh, in the days to come. So as, as horrendous as this is, as, as de- devastating as this is, there is a, a, um, a very twisted reward that comes to these militants, these, these anti-Semitic forces of war uh, are, are being rewarded financially, and, and they'll say to help uh, with the infrastructure and rebuild the Gaza, which they absolutely should. But unfortunately and sadly, and history bears this out, so much of this money will be used to buy more weapons and to buy more infrastructure for uh, building up the military. Uh, On the Israeli side, uh, Hamas fired as many rockets as they did in the last conflict in 2014 at at a much slower um, uh, or much more condensed time frame. So they they did it as uh, in, in I think it was 11 days. Uh, the IDF destroyed 100 kilometers of, of of underground tunnels, so I guess that's reporting a little bit more than what I had initially thought. 
Uh, 25 senior terrorists were killed. 200 other terrorists were killed. Uh, 340 launching pads were destroyed. 70 rocket launchers were destroyed. 35 mortars were, were, were eliminated. Uh, what's more, uh, there were 90% fewer Palestinian deaths than 2014. So you had a much more uh, drawn-out war in 2014, uh, and yet you had far less casualties, which is a good thing. Uh, the IDF, they learned from that war. They, they took notes, just as people are taking notes from this war, including the enemy, including Iran, including the Ayatollahs. Uh, but the Israeli intelligence and airstrikes, they were better. They were far more careful, more precise. Uh, tragically, civilians were caught in it. And, you know, and I show you some images here that, you know, would break your heart. Uh, you know, but there were 90% fewer casualties in Gaza than uh, all of the airstrikes that were compared to seven years ago. So again, the ceasefire is declared, but at what cost? And I would just say this, and I would say this for all of the surrounding areas uh, of, of the Middle East, from North Africa, uh, Morocco and Libya, Sudan, all the way over to to the Middle East and Iran and Iraq and 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 in Palestinians in Gaza and 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 uh, the West Bank and in Israel, identity politics because that is what is coming into play today. That is the importance that the media has. And I, I just say, well, what about the young generation? Because this, these are the people that are growing up in this. Who do they identify with? Who will they fight for? What inspires them? Those are the questions because those are the things in the years to come. And I'm talking about, you know, things in, the, in right around the corner because this, this, more war is coming. And, you know, that's obvious. And, and this, this is what you have to contend with. And this is what I would say is a, a, a small victory in the uh, Abraham Accords that the people of those areas uh, of Bahrain and, and the UAE and Morocco, for that matter, um, they see people reaching out for peace. And that's always a good thing. Um, but then you're going to have the other side of it where, you know, they'll get them as early as they can in, in grade school and high school and, and teaching them that, you know, Jews are pigs and, and, you know, they're to be eliminated. So these are the things that we have to contend with. So if you can, I wanted to switch gears for a second to Turkey because Turkey has a big role to play coming up. And I saw some things and I have been seeing some things that are tied to this somewhat that I wanted to bring out. So real quick, very brief history. Uh, and I'm titling this The Nation of Turkey under President uh, Erdogan. But if you look on the left, you had the Ottoman Empire, which was ran from 1290 to 1923. They uh, uh, captured and were in Israel from 1517 to 1917. Uh, but after the caliphate was abolished, they became very friendly to the West. They were open to the West. They embraced the West. This was the first Muslim nation to really uh, openly uh, recognize Israel. They did so in 1949. Prior to Erdogan coming in, uh, their relations with Israel were, was very good, or, or good. I don't know about very good. I can't say that. Um, but also Cyprus and Greece, because of that, they did not have good relations with Israel because they did not have good relations with Turkey. And that's why I put that circle on the map earlier about Cyprus and Greece, because now the script has completely flipped and I believe it falls in line with exactly what is coming up prophetically. Um, 
Turkey is in trouble. Uh, under Erdogan, he is he, he has been very vocal about, and I'll get to this in the next slide, about how he views things, what's been happening with the Palestinians and the Temple Mount. Uh, but they are they're, they're in trouble. Uh, right now, with due to COVID, they're entering a full lockdown. Uh, they were encountering 50,000 cases per day. Uh, they, they've lost 40,000 people. 40,000 have, have died as a result of COVID over the past year plus, and 4 million citizens have been infected in the country. So that's COVID, like most countries, has had a devastating effect. I'm going to say right now with Turkey, and, you know, their lockdown was just recent within the last couple of weeks. So, uh, you know, it's a year later, but they're still dealing with a lot of problems there. Their currency is devalued tremendously. The Turkish lira has taken a tremendous hit. They're, they're dealing with loans that they cannot pay back to, to the Arab countries that, that lent them this money. So, you know, there, there's a great deal of economic problems that are happening. Then you have President Biden uh, recognizing the uh, uh, Ar Armenians on Armenian uh, Remembrance Day. So they recognize Armenian genocide as committed by uh, the Turks. Uh, this goes back to, there was actually two cases of this, and, and it's been widely known and accepted by many countries as a genocide that took place, incidentally, before the Holocaust. So I would say the Armenians were really the first ones to encounter this. Uh, in the late 1800s, they were butchered by the tens of thousands. Then uh, leading up to World War I, they were uh, up, up to, I think, almost 1.5 million Armenians were massacred. Uh, Turkey had denied this. They said this never happened. This was a fallacy. Uh, and because, as I said earlier, they became open to the West, they embraced the West, the West for the most part, kind of looked away and, and didn't bring this up. And the Armenians and others were trying to get this out to the, you know, to the majority of the world, that this needs to be recognized and this, there needs to be you know, a price to be paid. So President Biden, who has been no fan of Erdogan, um, he has uh, declared on, on, on Armenian independence that he recognized this. So this was kind of a slap at Erdogan um, and, and, you know, it's, it, it basically, it kind of, it, it, it caused more stress between the relations. And then you also have, you have to remember that Turkey is a member of NATO and that's causing a lot of strife. And what Turkey has done is they've kind of played with, uh, you know, whoever they can. They bought military, uh, arms from Russia. They have interactions with China, but yet they're in NATO. So it's kind of like one foot in, one foot out. And I think that's caused a lot of problems with the United States, at least, and other NATO nations. So then what happened? So the Americans just recently kicked them out of the F-35 program. So not only they're not going to supply these planes to Turkey, but they were part of the manufacturing process. They were part of the uh, engine building process. The Turkish suppliers were, were embedded with this. So now this has taken another hit on the Turkish economy. And so what's going on now is Turkey is, uh, is being isolated. Uh, they, they no longer have good relations with Egypt. Why? Because of the Muslim Brotherhood. They align with the Muslim Brotherhood. Uh, and, and now you have President Sisi from the military in there. Um, 
then you, you you have the relations with Cyprus and Greece, which was never good, I should say. Uh, and, and now they have good relations with Israel. And incidentally, uh, Erdogan tried to make an agreement with Israel years back, opening up different shipping lanes that would impact Cyprus and Greece. And Israel turned them down. And, and I think Erdogan was a little bit dismayed with that, couldn't understand it. But what Israel did was they honored the partnership with Greece and Cyprus. They said, no, we have good relations with Greece and Cyprus. We're not coming against our neighbors. So they, they, they did something that I would say is, is right. So Libya used to have a big part in, in, they were part of the Ottoman Empire. They had relations. Their relations are being strained with the American relations, the NATO, East, the Western Europe relations. So well, I guess what I'm trying to point out here is who will Turkey turn to? And in my opinion, this will lead up to eventually uh, a more warmer relations with Israel, I'm sorry, with Russia, as it will pertain to the war of Gog of Magog, the Ezekiel 38-39 war. I've gone into this uh, recently, and so this is what I would call the last great war uh, before what will be the the onslaught of, of the uh, of the seven year tribulation? So I believe if you look at the geopolitical landscape of what's going on today, you see the building of of, of what's happening for that. And I'm kind of tying back now to well, how does this pertain to the the conflict in uh, between Hamas and and Israel? And here's some of the things that uh, Erdogan has been saying over the past couple of weeks. He's been a vo- very vocal proponent of, uh, uh, of, of, or supporter, I should say, of Hamas. He, he has said, Jerusalem is the whole world. Muslims are there and all of humanity. So he wants to be the spokesman for the Muslims. He wants to be um, the one who kind of uh, helps lead this caliphate. You know, it's almost like a return or yearning to return to the Ottoman Empire. And, you know, incidentally, you have President Putin in Russia wanting to return to the glory days of Mother Russia. So that's been reported. But here's some other things that you can take out of the modern day headlines. Israel must be taught a lesson. This is what he tells Putin. Interesting. Uh, Turkey won't remain silent over the Israeli strikes in Gaza. Uh, Erdogan slams the United States and Austria over the Israeli response. Uh, he hits out at Israel as the Middle East conflict grows. Uh, Erdogan says that the UN must act to halt Gaza conflict. Uh, Erdogan calls on the Pope to, to keep denouncing the Gaza violence. So all of that has been going on. And, and I, I should kind of also point out that the Turks are building up their navy. Now, even though that they have this setback with the F-35s, and I'm going to give you an example of what they've had to go to. So if you look at their it's a Turkish aircraft carrier on the bottom, uh, the Andalou, uh, the F-35s would be perfect for this because they could land and take off vertically. So because they've lost that, they now have to go to the, this drone-type um, uh, plane, which is called the Bayraktar, the TB-2, and that's on the right. So that's impacted them, but nonetheless... They've made a very strong uh, push to build up their Navy. They've uh, really uh, sunk a lot of resources into it. And if you look at the map on the left, 
you have an enormous amount of coastline in the Black Sea, the Aegean Sea, and the Mediterranean. So I believe what will happen is this Turkish Navy that is being built up will have a, a, an impact and a role to play in that eventual uh, War of Gog of Magog. So I wanted to point this out to keep your eyes on Turkey, uh, keep your eyes on, on what may be happening there. I'm going to bring you back to that map that I, that I showed you uh, n near the beginning. And if you look at Turkey, where that is in the upper left and, and how they can go straight down to Israel and Tel Aviv. But I wanted to also point out the yellow highlights of Cyprus and Greece, how they may be a uh, ally of Israel in, in those days. You know, time will tell. Uh, but but that's kind of what's 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 coming about. That's what we can be looking towards. This is some of the things that that we see uh, as a result of of what has transpired just in this past two weeks. So to me, I believe you're seeing a significant aspect of what the Bible says will be coming down the road. I see. I, I see. My personal opinion is some of these steps or the, the groundwork is being laid. There's no question in my mind that Iran has been taking notes. How is Israel reacted? Uh, what their military did, what their air force did, what their uh, uh, intelligence gathering did, how they utilized the press in that in that situation. And remember that only 4,500 rockets were only. That's, that's a terrible thing to say. Um, but you have, I believe, upwards of 150,000 rockets, 100 to 150,000 that the uh, Israeli military has identified in Lebanon alone, uh, and that is under Hezbollah. So, you know, here you have the surrounding enemies that are, that are coming up ag against uh, Israel. And if you look at also what I, what's called the Stan countries, Kazakhstan, Turkmenistan, Uzbekistan, Tajikistan, these are all some of the nations that are believed to be part of the empire of Gog of Magog. So all of this, Turkey, all of those, uh, the Sudan, Ethiopia, Libya, they're all becoming at one point against the nation of Israel. And you can see that tiny country there. And, and I believe a lot of what transpired in these past two weeks leads up to some, it played a role, I'm, I'm going to call it that way, in the building up towards the end of days. And let me just close with two important scriptures in my eyes of what we see today. We must continue to pray for the peace of Jerusalem as Psalm 122 instructs us to. It says, they shall prosper that love you. Uh, so, you know, we need to do whatever we can, uh, whether we can afford to maybe bless some of the ministries out there that are helping Arabs and Jews alike. Uh, you want to show the love of Jesus, bless the Arab people, bless the Jewish people, do whatever you can to help them. And then I would say in Zechariah 12, 2, 3, no surprise. It says, Behold, I will make Jerusalem a cup of trembling into all the people round about when they shall be in the siege, both against Judah and against Jerusalem. And in that day, I will make Jerusalem a burdensome stone for all people. All that burden themselves with it shall be cut in pieces, though all the people of the earth shall be gathered together against it. I believe this is what you're seeing. You're seeing biblical history starting to take shape, just as the Bible laid out, just as so many other examples in the past have laid out. And I would say that never before in the history of the world, up until the last 70 plus years, 73 years, has the church been together and the nation of Israel has been a nation uh, it's, it's only in this sliver of history that we've seen it. So to me, my simple mind says Jesus is coming and Jesus is coming soon, just, that, just as the Bible laid out.
So I want to thank you again, as always, for your time. Any questions, comments, please email me, russickoutlook at gmail.com. Uh, and, and any prayer requests. And remember, as always, just my opinion.